Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, executive coach and speaker, and I have a passion for helping people make positive, transformational changes to their businesses and themselves and break through roadblocks to live their best lives. Let's get to it. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad, so, so glad you're here today. This is Challenging Day. We have a great show planned for you today, and I can't wait to introduce you to my guest. She's incredible. I mentioned last week, if you remember, that I have the opportunity over the last week and this week to interview two of my most impactful, most amazing mentors in my life, and today is the second one. I'm so excited. But first, we're going to do our heart-to-heart segment, and I'm going to read you an excerpt from one of my very favorite books, Present Over Perfect, because it's very relevant for what we're all maybe feeling and going through right now. But before I do that, I just want to say this is a really challenging time, and I know we all have different feelings. It's interesting as I talk to friends, family, there's varying degrees of fear and just feelings of so much uncertainty, so much out of our control right now. I know a lot of us, like me, have kids that we have just found out are going to be home for several weeks with no school and some sort of online learning, although my son, for example, has a break, a complete break with no school for two weeks, and then online learning kicks in. So there's a lot of idle time which can be really challenging when you are also trying to figure out how to work and not lose a lot of traction in that space. And it also just, there's a lot of fear out there. It's interesting as I talk to people, some people are very afraid. I went to the grocery store yesterday and I actually wasn't really feeling afraid or feeling the need to like completely stock up on things. Because no one was there. No, right? But (laughs) but then when I went yesterday and the bareness on the shelves Mm -hmm. It got me feeling a little panicky. Mm. I mean, I bought more frozen food yesterday than I have, I think, in my whole life. <laughs> and I do I do want to say I do, um, I am taking this seriously. In fact, I also want to say that I'm in the studio today with Benny. I'm in the studio today with my lovely guest. We are practicing social distancing. We did not hug, which is really hard because we're huggers. Even Benny's a elbow. hugger. I did an elbow. He bump. did an elbow. That it was, was so great. hard. Yeah. It was so hard. Laura and I did a little foot <laughs> kick, <laughs> which is weird to kick your friend, yeah, but right. this is like, it, this is just what it is right now. Um, That's funny. So I just want to encourage I, one of the battles I'm having in my brain is that part of me is saying, relax and lean into these circumstances that we can't control and use this time to do some of the things that I don't have a lot of time to do, right? Like I right now get to stay in workout clothes all day and hopefully work out. Um, I can slow down. It's a forced slowdown. And so part of my brain is saying, get outside with my kids, play games with them, I'm not saying they want to do that because they're teenagers, but I'm hopeful that they will want to do that Um, at some point. Maybe they'll get so bored of video games and and their phones. Um, But I'm trying to focus on some of those things, even from a self-care aspect. It's like I never have enough time to be quiet and read a book, take a nap, put on a face mask, whatever it is. And so I'm trying really to enjoy 
um, and push away the feelings of anxiety and fear over what these next six weeks are going to look like and bring. Um, And I just want to encourage all of you to try to do the same. So one of the things I've been thinking about is I don't do that great with no structure. So I was thinking about what are some little things that I could put in place for myself around structure. And so here's sort of what I'm thinking, and maybe it will give food for thought to some of you. So I'm trying to make two phone calls a day to people that I want to connect with. There, I never have enough time to call. There are, there's a group of people in my life that I always think of calling, and I always think, oh, I have to wait until I have 20 minutes to talk, which then never happens, and then I never make the call. So I'm picking two people today to call. I am going to do one thing in the self-care category. I don't know what it's going to be today. It could be a mask. could be a nap. Maybe I'm going to bleach my teeth. I don't know. Just saying. Um, I'm going to go for a walk outside because it's going to be beautiful, I think, this whole week. And I am going to organize one thing in my house. I know. Yesterday, I did the pantry because, of course, I bought so much food that then I was forced to do the pantry. But nonetheless, this is a great time to do some of those things. So hopefully that will inspire all of you to lean into this and and maybe not carry so much anxiety and fear. In the meantime... I want to read you this excerpt from the book Present Over, Over Perfect by Shauna Nyquist. I love this book so much. Highly recommend. Okay, here we go. Some days I do it better than others. It's still a tremendous temptation for me to spin out into achievement or efficiency or performance instead of dwelling deeply in life as it presents itself each moment. Indeed, sometimes I can get a little obsessive about pursuing non-perfection just perfectly. But the endeavor itself is transformative. My marriage, my parenting, my friendships, my faith have all been enriched in countless ways along this journey of choosing present over perfect. This isn't about working less or more necessarily. This isn't about homemade or takeout or full-time or part-time or the specific ways we choose to live out our days. It's about rejecting the myth that every day is a new opportunity to prove our worth and about the truth that our worth is inherent, not earned by our hustling. It's about learning to show up and let ourselves be seen just as we are, massively imperfect and weak and wild and flawed in a thousand ways, but still worth loving. It's about realizing that what makes our lives meaningful is not what we accomplish, but how deeply and honestly we connect with the people in our lives how wholly we give ourselves to the making of a better world through kindness and courage. Let's talk for a minute about perfect. Perfect has become as near a dirty word to me as hustle, prove, earn, compete, and push. Perfect is brittle and unyielding. Perfect calls to mind stiffness. Perfect and the hunt for it will ruin our lives, that's for certain. The ache for perfection keeps us isolated and exhausted. We keep people at arm's length. We keep hustling, trying, trying, trying to reach some sort of ideal that never comes. I've missed so much of my actual human, beautiful, not beautiful life, trying to force things into perfect. But these days, I'm coming to see that perfect is safe, controlled, managed. I'm finding myself drawn to mess, to darkness to things that are loved to the point of shabbiness or just wildly imperfect in their own gorgeous way. 
I'm drawn to music that's more earnest than tidy, art that's more ragged than orderly, people who are just a touch more honest than is strictly appropriate for the situation. I'm finished hustling for perfect. It didn't deliver what they told me it would. And so instead, present. If perfect is plastic, present is rich, loamy soil. It's fresh bread, lumpy and warm. It's real and tactile and something you can hold with both hands, something rich and warm. Present is a face bare of makeup, a sweater you've loved for a decade, a mug that reminds, me, reminds you of who you used to be, the journal filled with scribbled secret dreams. It isn't pretty necessarily. It isn't supposed to be. Present is living with your feet firmly grounded in reality, pale and uncertain as it may seem. Present is choosing to believe that your own life is worth investing deeply in, instead of waiting for some rare miracle or fairy tale. Present means we understand the here and now is sacred, sacramental, threaded through the divinity even in its plainness, especially in its plainness. Present over perfect living is real over image, connecting over comparing, meaning over mania, depth over artifice. Present over perfect living is the risky and revolutionary belief that the world is beautiful and valuable on its own terms and that it doesn't need to be zhuzhed up and fancy in order to be wonderful. Sink deeply into the world as it stands. Breathe in the smell of rain and the scuff of leaves as they scrape across driveways on windy nights. This is where life is, not in some imaginary photoshopped dreamland. Here, now. You, just as you are. Me, just as I am. The world, just as it is. This is the good stuff. This is the best stuff there is. Perfect has nothing on truly, completely, wide-eyed, open-souled, present. I love that. And with that, it is my total pleasure to introduce Dr. Laura Hamill, one of my most impactful friends and women in my life and mentor that I had the privilege of being managed by for almost four years. So Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Oh my gosh. I love what you just said. Oh, thank you. And I'm so excited that you're here. Um, And I'm wondering before we jump into the show and go to our first break, if you can just tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Absolutely. Gosh. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about my traditional way of introducing myself and then, <laughs> you know, what you just said, if I should say it differently. But let me just say you what I say. It all. Okay, good. So I um, have a pretty cool career. I love what I do. I am an organizational psychologist. So that means psychology applied to work. So business psychology is another way people think about it. I um, have a couple roles right now called chief people officer, so I head up the human resources function, and chief science officer, which means I head up a research function at a company called Limeade. And that's a technology company, an employee experience company that actually is located in Bellevue. And so I, that's what I focus on is trying to create great places to work. So that's my work introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'd say from a personal perspective, I have two kids. I have a 15-year-old and a 19-year-old is crazy. I can't even believe it. I have a husband. I have a big golden retriever named Stanley. <laughs> um, I have a pretty rich life, meaning 
full, <laughs> full mm-hmm. engaged yep. life. Yeah. Um, that I that I love. Oh, I love it. And I, um, Laura is actually the person in my life that I I look at actually as like the catalyst to this entire show. She probably doesn't know this. I've never told her this, but this entire show, because she is the person in my life. She was the key to sort of breaking open um, and making very clear to me my own battle with perfection and sent me, which sent me on this whole journey. So I'm so excited to tell you all more about Laura and dig into why she does what she does. And we're going to talk about perfection and women and all sorts of stuff. But first, we are going to take a really short break. And you are listening to the Imperfection Wins show on KKNW 1150. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by Urban Restoration, the Eastside's premier builder for remodeling, new construction, and so much more. With over 20 years of experience, the team at Urban Restoration has built a foundation of integrity, trust, superior craftsmanship, and personal accountability to clients. Whether you are building a new home, doing a total home remodel, or even a small project, the experienced team at Urban Restoration will walk you through the process and leave you with the results you desire. Client satisfaction and relationships rule at Urban Restoration. If you are located on the Greater East Side and looking for a contractor you can trust, visit the Urban Restoration website at ur-build.com. That's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for contact information and to check out pictures of their amazing craftsmanship. Again, that's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for Urban Restoration. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm here today with Dr. Laura Hamill, Chief People Officer and Chief Science Officer at Limeade. Okay, Laura, so we got to meet you right before the break. Um, I wanted just to tell everyone a little bit about how you and I know each other. So um, for those of you that don't know, I actually used to work at Limeade, and I met Laura, initially started at Limeade as a contractor, um, doing some recruiting, and then eventually became the senior director of human resources, or the people team, as we call them at Limeade. Um, But I had the privilege of working with Laura for almost four years, and I learned so much. I mean, never in my life, I will say never in my whole career or life have I met a leader with an outlook on people and business and the humanity around that and really loving people and showing up as you are. I've never met another leader that does that more authentically than Laura Hamill. So um, I, but one of the coolest things about Laura, I think, is her unique background. So she has a super funky and amazing backstory that most people, if you just met her today, would have no idea about. So, um, and I happen to know that that background actually led her in, in some ways, to some of the work that she's doing now in making work better for people. So, Laura. Yeah. Would you tell us a little bit about how you grow grew up and maybe even share a couple of stories because the stories are seriously the best. I was like when Laura would start telling stories at Limeade if we'd go to happy hour or something, it would it was like story time. Everybody would be like, "More, tell more, tell more." 
Okay, so give it to us. Okay, well, first, thank you so much for having me and those really sweet words. That means so much to me. It was funny, right when you were saying that, the sun just sort of came up, sort of-ish. <laughs> it just became light oh. out, and it just, you make me tear up. That's so oh. nice that you say that, and I feel the same way about you. I got so much from being with you, too. So so thanks for having me. Oh, okay, so let me tell you about my crazy childhood. Um, so my parents were hippies. And so it was the whole back to nature thing. We um, bought 60 acres of land in rural North Carolina, um, which was a really weird thing to do because it was very Bible Belt. Everybody grew tobacco, like, and here, here we come, right, in our VW bus. With <laughs> my dad had a long beard, tie-dye shirts, oh, the whole thing, right? It was just what you think of when you think of hippies. And so we bought 60 acres of land and built our own house. So I helped build a log cabin. Um, and what that means is I was a little kid, right? I was, I think it's, it was probably fourth grade that we started doing that. And so I would help put the, what was called chinking, the concrete and the nails in between the logs. Um, I helped put the roof on. I helped put the floor in. And the whole time we're doing that, we're living there. It's not like we have another house that we're living at while we're building this house. <laughs> we're living there. So you're kind of camping. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, like living in a VW bus, living in the, when it got the, we got the roof on, living inside of it when, with no floor. Like it was, it was a thing. And so please note, a really important note is no running water, mm -hmm. no electricity. So, but it was just what I knew, right? Yeah. It wasn't weird like looking back at it now that I with kids I'm like what were yeah. they thinking you know like and the, Laura when was the first time you had electricity okay yeah so there's a there's so many stories as you said Sam but I didn't have electricity so that was fourth grade that we started that I didn't have electricity until I went to college right so I mean can everybody just take that in for a second she did not have electricity yeah. until she went to college Seriously. And I, of course, when I was going to college, the main thing I was excited about was a blow dryer and a curling iron. You know, that was the thing that I was getting really excited about Aww. of going to college and having that. But it's amazing what that does to you. I mean, mm -hmm. still to this day, even this morning, taking a hot shower, I am grateful for it mm -hmm. every single day mm -hmm. because we didn't have that. We'd have to go and get our water from a spring, carry it up either by hand or in the back of a car and then put it on the stove and heat it up for a warm bath right like I'm talking every little basic step yeah. was hard um, and so there's so many crazy stories of things that we had to do just for the basic you know kind of steps in life that you take for granted now um, one of the things that I think is kind of a funny story is around the television situation. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when you're a kid, you want to watch TV. And yeah, because I just want to point out this wasn't nor like this was abnormal. Yes. Like you were you were going to school. Yeah. And you were with kids and they didn't have oh, right. lives like you had. No, completely. So it wasn't like, like rural North Carolina. Right. Nobody had so electricity. So you're like living two, in yeah. two worlds kind of. So oh. you want the TV and you want oh. the electricity and all that. And 100%. yet you go home and you don't have any of that. Right. Yeah. And so we did some pretty funny things. So my um, dad got us a little tiny TV, like 12-inch TV, that we could hook up to the car battery. The thing that was crazy about it is that it only lasted for an hour, right, until it just died. 
And so, but we would like desperately find, and there was only one channel too that we could get. <laughs> so it was whatever was on that oh channel gosh. was what you got to watch for that hour. So we would do that and it would always run the car battery down. And mm-hmm. so I learned early, I think fifth grade, sixth grade, how to pop a clutch on a car, right? So you let it roll <laughs> and then boom, like know how to pop it so that you could start it back up again because it was always dead. So then I'd let it run a little bit so I could get maybe one more hour. And out were of you it. alone in the car? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, completely. I mean, I, mean the, <laughs> I know. There are all kinds of things like that that were going down, right? Yeah. That were crazy. The, the, the thing that's interesting, though, is there were also some really neat things that happened. And one of the, I, to me, I, looking back, some of the things that were the most positive is that I loved, I learned how to read and read all the time. So that was my main source of entertainment was mm-hmm. reading. And so hours and hours, book after book after book is what I, what I did all summer long. Mm-hmm. I'd even hook up a rope to um, a tree and put an inner tube into the river and just sit there with books and just read and read and read. And another kind of funny story. I mean, snakes would, of course, just go by all the time, right? And I just got used to being like, that's what it is, right? That's what happens when you're in nature. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a snake. I mean, I don't want to yeah. hold a snake. But, but you're not completely I'm not freaking out. freaked out. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to be have that kind of being around nature all the time. Yeah. And that, that is something that even now, that is where I feel the most comfortable mm. and the most at home. Like if and the you most... need to be peaceful, oh, you go into nature. Completely. Yeah. Completely. So and so related to how did I how did this impact me and my yeah. career? Okay, but first yeah, I have yeah, to ahead. ask you I have to ask you two things. Yeah. So one one of the things that I find so amazing, just because of the polarity of your life now. Yes. Um, you know, he, here you are, PhD, amazing job. You do such important work. You have children that are thriving. I mean, su- not that you didn't thrive in that environment. You did, but the environments are so different. Yeah. Um, one of the things that always struck me for you was even at the midst. So your life to me, when you tell stories, they're funny and, I, and entertaining and I love them so much because I can't imagine. But you were a total go-getter. So some of the things that I would love just for you to point out is that you had these challenging circumstances, like you had to work harder for a lot Mm -hmm. of simple things. Um, You still were like, I think you were really involved in school. (laughs) I mean, I remember you telling the story about you had one of those little butane curling irons and you would get to school early and curl your hair in the bathroom. (laughs) You know, like you still... You still um, were active and included and a leader and, mm-hmm. you know, so I wonder if you could just yeah. touch on that a little bit yeah. because I think that that is such an interesting, the resilience. Yes. Um, and then I do want to get into okay. how it impacted the work you're doing. Yeah. So I, I look back at that and I think about m- me as a little girl. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mind-blowing. I don't know. I'm sure this came from my parents in some way. Um. But I almost feel like in some ways I was kind of born with this desire to kind of do things, right? Mm-hmm. And to be mm-hmm. like have probably related, maybe related to perfectionism. But like I, I had a belief in myself mm-hmm. really early that I could do what I wanted to do, that I could make things happen, that I could um, own my life. And part of it's really sad in some ways, 
I'll give an example, but other parts of it, I'm like, that was awesome. Like, yeah. how did that happen that I felt so clear that I'm going to have the life that I want to have? Yep. And I'm going to make something of this mm-hmm. and I can do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, that was just no question from when I was little. That's amazing. I, I just, I don't even know where that all came from. I have a little bit of that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know you do. We've mm-hmm. talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, you know, things that are sad about it. One of the, <laughs> on my desk right now at work, there is a can of SpaghettiOs. And you'd look and say, what the heck is a can of SpaghettiOs <laughs> doing on, on your on your?" You better desk? hide it right now. Someone might tell you. <laughs> Good point. Um, I'm, a, I'm also celiac, so I can't even eat it. Yeah. But it's a symbol. Um, somebody on my team who was very sweet to do this heard this story. I, when I was um, growing up, we were really poor. Like mm-hmm. we didn't have any money. And... I remember in my head saying, when I grow up, I'm going to have a job so that any time I wanted it, I could have SpaghettiOs. Oh that was like a gosh. sign, you know, that $1.59 yes. can of SpaghettiOs yes. was a sign for me of like I would have choice and yeah. I would be able to do things I wanted to do, yep. um, which you can see how extreme that is, right? Mm-hmm. If that was my standard or what I got excited about, yep. <laughs> this shows how kind of poor I think we, yep. we were, you know, that that was something that was exciting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did. I, I rebelled against my parents in a lot of ways. They were very anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. They didn't really even care that much if I went to school. Yep. They didn't care about my grades. And so I showed them, right? <laughs> I got straight A's. Yeah. <laughs> and I was part of all of you know the stuff in society that is very establishment right all the sports and um cheerleading <laughs> and stuff like that that just it was just kind of you kind must of have been mind-boggling to that <laughs> yeah. it must have just been like wait what? what you're a cheerleader and you're on student council and exactly. you are you know completely well I think it all just makes you such an interesting person. And when I said at the beginning that I have never in my life met a leader, um, a person like you, you are one of a kind truly, but a leader like you. And I honestly really believe that everything, that spirit in you and everything in your life led up to you being the most amazing leader. And um, I want to talk about that. And I want everyone to know that Laura, if you don't know her, some of the people listening probably all do work at Limeade, I'm hoping. <laughs> um, and so they will agree with me on this. Laura is literally like the Pied Piper. You people want to follow her and she shows up and she is herself and people want to follow her. There's no force there. Um, it is truly because she's such a light and she's a leader unlike any other. So we're going to talk more about that and we're going to talk about why you do the work you do to make work so much better for people. But first, we're going to take a really quick break. So thanks for listening, everyone. You are listening to Sam Willing and the Imperfection Wins Show, KKNW 1150. Hey, everybody. It's me, Sam. Many of you know that one of my greatest joys in life is handing out small, perfectly imperfect wooden hearts. That's right. I said perfectly imperfect. These are the words that came to mind when I held one of these handmade hearts in my hand for the first time. These beautifully crafted, imperfect hearts are made by my friend Gary. Fate brought us together and ordering hearts from him and giving them to anyone who needs one has been a joyful part of my journey. The hearts serve as a physical reminder that things don't need to be perfect to be meaningful. 
check out my website, samwilling.com forward slash imperfect hearts for the whole heart story to place an order or make a donation. 100% of the proceeds go towards the mission. Don't forget that samwilling.com. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm here today with Laura Hamill, Chief People Officer and Chief Science Officer at Limeade, an amazing person in general. So, Laura, before we went to break last time, we started to talk a little bit about what led you into the work that you're doing right now. And we were talking about just your um, really interesting childhood and how you have always been someone I think that defies odds and you are um, a driver. Like you work and work and work and work um, through your life. I mean, I think, and I and I get that because I have some of that and I sometimes I have to bridle it. It's like sometimes you got to rest too, yeah, right? But sure. I look at just everything that you've accomplished. Um, you know, you have your PhD, you are at what most people would say is the pinnacle of your career. You're a C-level executive, and yet you are such a human being, like such a lovely, gentle human being. Um, and so I'm curious if you will just share with everybody what led you into this study specific to, like, you know, I know you have your PhD in organizational and industrial psychology, but you specifically are very committed to making work better for people. And so what led you into that? Yeah, there, there are a lot of influences. I think one of them is really my childhood, what I was just talking about. Um, you know, I, I've told you that we were really poor, mm-hmm. and that really bothered me, and I wanted to feel more of a sense of kind of ownership of my life. Um, and I attributed a lot of being poor to my father's relationship with work. Um, he really didn't, couldn't keep a job. Mm-hmm. And he was a carpenter. And he just always had this very adversarial relationship with work. A lot of, about how his boss or the man mm-hmm. was treating him poorly. And it was repeated over and over mm-hmm. and over again where he'd start a new job. Two or three weeks it started, right, where he started talking about how much he hated his job. Hmm. And I think about that, and I think deep down I really started thinking, why does it have to be that way? Why does it have to be miserable? I, I don't get it. Like, help me understand that. Aren't these just people? And I, I really, I put a lot on my own kind of reasons why we were suffering as a family, especially financially, into his relationship with his job, which, mm. you know, kind of makes yeah. sense. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> and so I just didn't, I, I was intrigued by that. I didn't get it. Um, and so it wasn't when I was in college, I learned about this whole field in the back, <laughs> this is kind of a funny story too, in the back of an introduction to psychology textbook. I love psychology. I started taking the classes. And in the back of the textbook, it said, you know, all these different careers. The last one said business psychology. And I read about it and it said, this is a great career for women. Oh <laughs> I'm like, gosh. I'm a woman. <laughs> I like psychology. And there, and I also was just like, this is, this is for me. Yeah. Like, I want to understand it. it. Yeah, for sure. So that's how I learned about it, started having interest when I was young about, mm. you know, this this is something that's important. And so now I 
I love this whole area, right? Because we spend so much of our time at work. Why is it that we should, you know, dread going there? Mm -hmm. Why is it that we should feel like we're wasting our lives, um, that we just count away the hours until we can be done with work? It makes me so sad to think about Mm -hmm. how much of our lives are wasted in that kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. So I feel so lucky, grateful to be able to work on something that matters so much as our work and feeling valued as human beings when we go to work. Mm -hmm. So that's what I get to do. I get to really try to understand what creates a great place to work. And it's very complicated, right? There's a lot of different components to it. But if you look at its kind of essence of what is the, at the core of so much of the work that I do, because I focus on employee engagement and organizational culture and employee well-being, you know, at the very essence of all of those are how do we treat people like human beings? How do we do more of that? And it's so obvious when you think mm-hmm. about it, right? Like, how have we gotten away from that? Um, but that's really a lot about what it is. Yeah, and it's so, um, I think that is what makes you so unique as a leader. You know, I had never, when I started working for you and with you, I had never actually encountered, I I always, um, I'm such a relationship person and, you know, high highly empathetic. And so I always practiced compassion and, you know, seeing people clearly as humans in my work. That's part of the reason that I went into human resources as a function. And it was the part of my, you know, in every HR job I've ever been in, I've always ended up in the employee relations role or in the coaching role, um, really deeply connecting with people and wanting to help them in the midst of their suffering. And I think when I, during my time of working with you, I learned so much because I never had ever seen it play out. So the roles I didn't been in before, it felt like in my own world, um, I could deeply impact people. But I always sort of bumped up against leadership, right? It was very different sort of from the very black and white um, revenue-driven yeah business leaders that I'd always been in contact with, even HR leaders, you know, it was like there, like there wasn't a lot of empathy in human. In fact, I had one, um, one manager who was the, as high as you could get in a company for HR. And I remember saying to him, you know, um, I think that it would be really helpful if you could just try to connect with the team, our own (laughs) HR team on more of a human level. And, you know, build some relationships um, instead of just being focused on data. And he looked at me and he said, I'm over 60 years old. I'm a data person, not a people person. That's what I hired you for. I can't change. And I literally remember wow. being like, well, okay. Like that, if that, that's a fixed mindset if I've ever seen Seriously. one. And so that's more typical, I think, yeah. in the world. You know, it's crazy. It is. And I think it's um, what I saw and you taught me over and over and over again was just that you can show up and you can be yourself and you can be human and be a leader. And um, it just it 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 was really um, a unique 
situation for me. And I really do believe it was a catalyst into all the work that I do now, even in my vice president of people role. I mean, I still devour the Limeade content, all of your webinars and everything. I use the principles that you taught me um, every single day. And it does really make a difference for people. Well, that's amazing. And that makes me feel so happy that (laughs) that you feel that way. Um, Yeah, I think we could be thinking about all of us as individuals doing our best, like you were doing, right, around connecting with people and being human. But what I think really needs to happen is organizations need to start embracing this and really understanding Mm -hmm. that people practices especially should be human. I mean, duh, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) I know. I don't know. It seems so obvious, like you said, but it's amazing how it's not practiced. Completely. And um, I think that people, it's just based on such old school ways of thinking about work, such old school ways of thinking about command and control and, you know, what it means to go to work and what it means to be successful. And those old ways are based on, you know, working on a machine and, you know, they're just really out of date. And so it's really um, encouraging to start to see organizations Mm -hmm. who are really understanding, well, wait a second. What differentiates us, what Mm -hmm. makes us us is our people. And so we need to think differently about how we treat them, how we design work, how we reinforce them, how we are with them in the day-to-day. And so that I definitely seeing more and more companies that get it. Yeah. Right. It's cool because I feel like there used to be there's all these words. Like I always talk about what we do with words as humans. And I I always think of like Um, there used to be these like dirty words to say in corporate, which were things like empathy and compassion or love. I mean, (laughs) serious. That's still a tricky one, right? I know. Like kindness, um, caring, kindness, you know, and now they're becoming so much more common. It's really becoming a thing. And, And one of the things that I talk about a lot is how like the first step was sort of everybody understanding that to be a good leader, you needed you need to have empathy. And that became like a big sort of on fire word. Yeah. And now I think the next step to that is you, it's not enough to just have empathy. You have to have compassion. And mm-hmm. compassion is actually the action. Right. Right. Like compassion yeah. is like you actually you don't just feel their suffering or see it. You actually do something right. to alleviate the pain. Completely. Completely. And that that helps make better places to work, right? Where you're acting in a forward way to make things better for your employees. And I get that it's hard. I get that we have all of these old structures in place. But I really, um, I think that many organizations are seeing that that's what you have to start doing. And, you know, what's important, you know, the idea of perfectionism, you know, it would be easy to say that's just too hard. There's no way we're going to ever satisfy Mm -hmm. everybody. Let's not even try. So we, even at Limeade, for sure aren't perfect, for Mm -hmm. sure have a lot more work to do. But man, if we're really putting the effort in and having the goal of having people want to come to work. Yeah, you know, right. right? Step, like, step one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that they are, you know, generally, maybe not every day, but generally excited about the work they're doing, the people they're with, yeah. what we're trying to do. We're just going to be better off in so many ways. So it's it's a journey. It's never done. It's yep. You're never perfect at it. You're always making mistakes. But 
it is so important. Yeah. That is such a perfect segue into our next segment. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about perfection, one of my favorite um, favorite and least favorite things. <laughs> okay, you guys are listening to KKNW 1150, the Imperfection Wins Show. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by Urban Restoration, the Eastside's premier builder for remodeling, new construction, and so much more. With over 20 years of experience, the team at Urban Restoration has built a foundation of integrity, trust, superior craftsmanship, and personal accountability to clients. Whether you're building a new home, doing a total home remodel, or even a small project, the experienced team at Urban Restoration will walk you through the process and leave you with the results you desire. Client satisfaction and relationships rule at Urban Restoration. If you are located on the Greater East Side and looking for a contractor you can trust, visit the Urban Restoration website at ur-build.com. That's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for contact information and to check out pictures of their amazing craftsmanship. Again, that's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for Urban Restoration. Organic, free range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm here today with Laura Hamill, Chief People Officer and Chief Science Officer at LimeAid. And before we took a break, we started to dive into perfection. And of course, I said it's one of my favorite and least favorite subjects. It's one of my favorite subjects, but perfectionism is like one of my my own struggles and it's one of my least favorite of my own struggles of the many (laughs) of the long (laughs) list of struggles I have um but Laura part of the reason that I was so excited to talk with you today is that as I mentioned in the beginning I really view you as you were sort of the key to me facing finally at you know 40 (laughs) facing the truth about, you know, how I had held my own self back and how I had really been striving and striving and striving and pushing and pushing and pushing. And it was all this sort of quest for perfection. And when it's been a very interesting journey for me, because when I first started working with you, I would say, looking back, I had a very fixed mindset. So at that point, I had done a lot of different roles in my life in terms of career and motherhood. I had had a great thriving career with, um, you know, tech companies and biotech. I had children and was in a very traditional environment where I had no flexibility and like really took down my house and myself in that process. It was so um, by the time I got to you, I had a very fixed mindset around work. I was like, no, you can't, this whole idea of having it all is not true. You can't be, um, have a thriving career and be the kind of mom that I wanted to be, the kind of friend I wanted to be, the kind of wife I wanted to be. And so by the time I met you, the way that I viewed work was um, like, I like to work and um, I have some skills that I think I'm like pretty good at um, and it's fun, but being a mom and my home comes first. And so I put work in this like tiny little bucket and compartment where it was like I had, I I can honestly say I had no aspirations 
I had no growth. Like there was nothing in my mind that was like, I'm going to grow a career. It was literally like, um, this is my side gig. I enjoy it. I get to interact with great people. And it's just this very tiny piece of my life. Um, because I really didn't believe it was possible. And I remember very, very vividly you sitting with me one day, um, one of the many times you were encouraging me, you were so patient with me, um, encouraging me to take on more, a a different role. You were trying to promote me, which I always (laughs) like drug my heels into. Um, And I remember saying, I can't, I can't, I can't do it all. And I remember you reaching across the table and saying, I actually think you can. I believe you can. And it was really interesting, Laura, because it wasn't until later, um, probably over the last year as I've reflected a lot and been on this journey, where I realized that I think what you were saying to me was that I could have it all, but I could not have it all perfectly. Like in order to have it and do it, I was going to have to let go of the perfection piece because the perfection piece was what was exhausting. Yes. Right. Holding you back. Yeah. Like the, the being, having the perfect, um, these visions of like being the perfect mom and the perfect, you know, and a cook and taking perfect care of myself and showing up as a high performer a hundred percent of the time at work. Like those things can't exist together. Completely. It was so obvious when, I mean, looking at you, you're how talented and amazing. I just, it, it didn't make sense to me. Like, what do you mean? If you wanted to do this, if you wanted to have even more in your career, of course you could, right? Like, it was so glaring to me how you should do that if that's something you're interested in. But you're right. It was at giving up mm-hmm. this other thing that you kind of had in your head around how structured your world was. Right? Yeah. Like it's this over here and this over here, and I'm going to make it all perfect. And I have also struggled a ton in my life with this concept of perfectionism. Um, there's some different, though, I've been thinking about the different components mm-hmm. of perfectionism. And it's funny because I think there's some components that I've done a lot of really good work on, and I'm not there, not in that space anymore. Mm-hmm. So within kind of perfectionism, I was thinking about the sense of control. Yeah, right. feeling like you can control things. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about um, being self-critical. It was thinking about looking to others for validation. Yeah, I was thinking about having really high standards of performance. And so within that, I, I think there are a couple things that I've really learned a lot about. And there's a couple things I'm still working on. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think it's a journey, right? You're never done with it. Um, the control piece is I think maybe a little bit about what we're talking about here when you were thinking about that. And I had this moment where my whole life changed. It was in the parking lot of Crossroads Mall (laughs) in Bellevue, (laughs) Washington, where I I really like had this epiphany that I had no control anymore. And it was when my little newborn baby, I'd gone to my first outing with my first baby, and he was tiny. He was born really underweight, full-term underweight, but um, I was a mess. I had preeclampsia. I was just a mess. And we go, and I couldn't figure out how to work the stroller, how to get him out of the car seat. Oh. And I just remember bawling. I was just oh. bawling in the in Crossroads Mall parking lot. And just it, it just hit me so hard that, wait, my whole life has changed. I have no more control. Yeah. And I think that's been a part of 
um, the perfectionism journey for me that I've been pretty successful at, like not thinking that in any one moment with any employee that I'm going to control them, that I yeah. should control them, that I want to control them. Like I've given up that sense of control. And if you look at my desk, you would say, oh, yeah, she's given up her <laughs> sense of control. But I really have. And there's, you know, there's some downsides for sure and how many unread emails I have and things like that. But that is a part of my journey that I feel pretty good about. But there are other parts around this concept of perfectionism that I'm still really working on. Um, I think one of them is like looking to others for validation. Yeah, that's a really hard one. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, the control thing for sure is something I'm working on. But like you said, there's no point of arrival. Like, I think that's what I'm learning about it is that I've done some really hard work um, and I feel so much better than I did. But there's no point of arrival where I'm done. Right. And yeah, and and I know and I notice when um, like certain things will trigger me, especially around like um, safety of my kids, you know, like certain things like that. Right. Where I I will feel that like control stepping back in. And now I'm at least able to kind of separate myself and go, okay, yeah, like this is control. This is, you know, perfectionism. This is not releasing something. (laughs) Um, But the validation from others is something that. That has been a journey for me, too, especially having this platform Yeah. because I was super anxious and nervous to put myself out there right. like a year and a half ago. Um, and I am I am growing in that area, but it's been painful. I mean, like I still say usually after I put a show out there, my immediate reaction is like, oh, my gosh, I want to take it back. Yeah, right. Right. It's you, that is such a vulnerable place to mm-hmm. be. Right. To put yourself out there in such a you know obvious way with doing a radio show like this. Right. Um, and I feel the same way when I'm doing presentations mm-hmm. like I want every single person to like be leaning in. If I see anybody on their phone or yeah. like nodding you off, it's it the end of the world. Right. Yeah. Like it's crazy the stuff we do to ourselves. Yeah. Right. And how much we beat ourselves up, how high our standards are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I just, I think that to know that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people feel that and share that, it makes you just kind of realize it's just a human thing, right? To look to others. And the more we can not have everything be balanced on that, yeah, (laughs) you know, and it it matters what other people think, but what matters more is how you feel and think about yourself. And I have to, I have to remind myself all the time. And, you know, to your point around never arriving, I think also there's different times in your life where it ebbs and flows yeah. how much this is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when your own when you aren't feeling great, I have found that it absolutely comes back in. Yeah. You know, it's when you're feeling really good physically and, you know, emotionally that you can feel like I got this. Yeah. You know, I, I totally. have this figured out. But there are times and when you're depleted. Yeah, when you're depleted. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been going through is um, I'm going through menopause, and yeah. it's crazy. And I always remember when I was younger how much people would just kind of giggle about this. Yeah. And it's not funny. No. <laughs> it's, it's really not funny. And the, one of the things that happened to me is I've lost, um, I wasn't sleeping for weeks, mm. not sleeping well. And what started to happen is I realized it was really affecting how I yeah. felt, right? I was a little bit more anxious, a little bit more depressed. And I was getting worked up about these yeah. things where I thought, hey, wait, have some of this stuff figured out. I already conquered this. Completely. Yeah. 
And I just the way everything's so connected, right? Yeah. When you're not sleeping, when you're not feeling good physically, how much your emotional well-being suffers yeah. and how much this stuff really starts to come out back to the yeah. surface. I love that because it, it's, like once again, there's no point of arrival, yeah. right? Like the fact that you still, as you're doing a presentation and here you are so accomplished and you still, you know, it's, it gives you a little twinge if you see someone on their phone or you see someone dozing off. I mean, it is constant yeah. work in progress. It really is. Um, I, you and I could honestly talk forever and ever and ever. We only have a couple of yeah. minutes left. And I really, um, first of all, I hope you write a book someday. Oh. I hope you write a memoir, seriously, <laughs> with all the stories. It, it will be a bestseller. Your life has been so fun and amazing and hard. And um, But would you leave us with this one thing? What is one thing that we can do as human beings, but also for people out there in a corporate environment, pe- people leaders, organizations, of all the things that you have studied, burnout, the science of care, what is one thing that we can do today to make work better for people? Yeah, I, I think it's so basic and so um, it's it's look at look people in their eyes, see them as human beings. It's kind of understand that everybody has a story. They mm-hmm. have there's a background. There are things that they care about, things they're worried about. See them as human beings mm-hmm. and kind of push away those old beliefs that you're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like seeing people as human beings and, yeah. and connecting with them. I love that. You definitely do that. And I think um, I was just listening to Brene Brown yesterday, and she said dehumanization is the biggest issue that we face right now so I think the work that you're doing is so important and um, everyone if you are interested in learning more about Laura go to the Limeade website it's just limeade.com there are some amazing webinars on there white papers resources it's so cool whether you're in a corporate environment or just in life on how to think about um, life and interacting with people and making life better. So, Laura, thank you so much for oh, being Sam, here today. It's been you. amazing. I want to have you back to talk about women. We didn't even get to talk <laughs> about know. that. So um, much more. Okay, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave a review when this comes out in podcast form. Next week, I'll be talking to the fabulous Brooke Boone, founder and CEO of Holy Yoga. And until then, be kind, have courage, and give yourself and others grace. Have a great Monday.